0: grab a Bible, turn your Bible on, look at the screen, whatever works best for you. The words will be in one of those three places. And we continue our awake, 100 days to awaken and to pray for an awakening in our souls, our city and our land. This morning, our Bible reading comes from Second Kings chapter 23, buried in the Old Testament. Listen now for the word of God. I'm going to read from verse 1. Then the king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he he read... In their hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king, this is Josiah, stood by the pillar and renewed the covenants in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkah the high priest, the priests next in rank, the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord, all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests, appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters where the women did weaving for Ashereth. And then turn over with me. It goes through verse after verse of all the things the king did to to reform the society. And then turn with me to verse 21. The final thing he did, the king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums, the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book of Hilkiah, the priest, and discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and even though it is ancient and written over two and a half thousand years ago, you, you take these words and you, you speak them, you breathe life into them, and they come alive in our conscience, in our hearts, in our minds, because they are your words, and they are powerful. And they can still change lives and bring life, just as they did for Josiah and his people. So this morning, Holy Spirit, breathe amongst us, move amongst us, and speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. So on Wednesday night, we formally launched um, our Awake series with five other churches and really lots and lots of other churches. Christians from all over the place gathered at City Hall in Belfast, um, but 520 people. We worshipped. We prayed. We sought after God. It was an amazing night. Some of you were there. Give us a wave. Good night. Powerful night. Really powerful night. If you feel you missed out, there'll be another opportunity 50 days into the journey in St. Anne's Cathedral and we'll give you more information about that near the time. We'd love you to connect with it. And this whole thing is is praying for revival. It's praying that God will awaken us as a church, we'll awaken this city, will awaken this land, will pour out his spirit, and will call people back to him. We started the night on Wednesday night with a story. I'm going to share the same story with you, um, just because I think it's a good story. Over New Year's, Lara and myself were in Marrakesh. EasyJet are doing cheap flights, you should check it out. I'm not sponsored, I'm just saying. Um, but we were in Marrakesh in Morocco for, for three nights, and on one of the nights, Marrakesh is built around the Medina, the old town, and then in the middle of it, there's a big square with all the markets, all the souks, all the, the people trying to exploit tourists. So all of this stuff, it's a wonderful hive of humanity and activity. And on one of the nights, we were sitting in a rooftop terrace, uh, drinking some sweet mint tea, which you've got to check out if you're there. And it turns seven o'clock, and this square is filled with thousands upon thousands of people. And at seven o'clock at night, this, this sound starts to reverberate all over the city, out of every mosque that dominates the skylines in Marrakesh. And it's the sound of the imams calling the people to pray. And just for a moment, thousands upon thousands of people in Marrakesh stopped. And we're a moment before, there were, you couldn't hear yourself. There was so much noise and activity. For just a moment, there was silence across the city. And all you heard was this reverberating sound of the imams calling the people to pray. And those who wanted to pray went to the mosque to pray. Those who didn't just kept doing their tourist stuff. But for a moment, there was silence. And I was challenged. I, I, I found myself feeling really emotional. I thought, there is nothing that the church in Ireland, north or south, east or west, there's nothing that the church is doing that is calling the people to stop and lift their eyes to God and pray. There, there's nothing we're doing that causes the city of Belfast to stop, even just for a moment. I was really challenged by that. And, and with it, this conviction that the only thing with will is not better sermons and better music and better church services But a move of God's Holy Spirit is the only thing that is going to call people back to him. And so that's what this is about. That's what this prayer uh, for awakening is about. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at different stories in the Bible that that we're going to guide and shape and inspire our thinking. And this story this morning uh, of King Josiah, it happens in 640 BC. The context is Israel and Judah have divided There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're falling out with each other. The Assyrians have invaded Judah, and they have ransacked the temple. The bricks and mortar are still standing, but all of the holy things have been carried off. Uh, It's been damaged. It's been looted. And over the course of this season, the the past couple of seasons, uh, Judah has gotten itself spiritually and culturally lost. They've embraced foreign gods and foreign ideas. They have this um, relativism idea and this pluralistic idea that, that people can worship whoever they want or not worship whoever they want. And I'll do what I want and you do what you want. And there's loads to choose from. And it's incredibly similar to society today. Baal is worshipped. Asherah poles are everywhere. They have horses and chariots at the mouth of the temple that are there to encourage people to worship the sun god. The whole thing has fallen apart. Nobody is faithful to Yahweh, to the Lord, to God. There's a a broken sexual ethic. There are male and female prostitutes working out of the temple, saying that when you sleep with me, this is worship, this is freedom, this is the way you should live your life. There are mediums and spiritists and fortune tellers making an absolute fortune at the expense of the people, and they're going to them to consult the dead. The Assyrian zodiac is is dominance. I think most frighteningly of all, worship of Molech is prevalent. And and, and what that is, it involves child sacrifice, burning children alive to appease this angry God. And in some ways, it it seems really different from the world we live in today. And yet, we live in a world where, where children as young as five are asking questions and their parents are asking questions about about their gender and transitions around that. Children are being trafficked in and out of this country. We sacrifice our children in a different way. We live in a country with a broken sexual ethic, where there is very little that is ruled do's and don'ts. Sleep with whoever you want. Do whatever you want. Isn't that the spirit of the age we live in? We live in a country of relativism. Don't impose your faith in anybody. Yes, believe whatever you want, but keep it private, keep it personal. And, and there's loads of opportunities to, to worship or not worship, whatever or whoever you want to. It's interesting how relevant this passage is to our society today. A bit more of the context, um, you know, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, had been king. He had, he had led the people away from God and embraced this pluralistic society. And then he was succeeded by his son, Josiah's father, Amon, who was even more evil. And then at eight years old, The people of the country revolted and overthrew the evil king and put Josiah at eight years old on the throne. This kid who's eight years old becomes king of Judah. And he has a good heart. And he wants to lead people in towards God. And so the first thing he does, he starts to to renovate the temple and to fix the temple up so people can have somewhere to go and worship and in the process of renovation, they, they, they knock down a wall or they open up a cavity and they discover a scroll. And the scroll is, we believe, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, of the Old Testament, the law, if you like, of God, the story of creation and the laws of God. And this scroll is brought to Josiah and he opens it out and he reads from this scroll and, and he discovers, he just has this realization of how far his nation has fallen from the ideals that God has invited them to live by. These people who are supposed to be uh, an example to the rest of the world of, of who God is and what God's people should be doing, how far they have fallen from what God's law, God's word says. And as as these words are read, Josiah is cut to the heart. He is brokenhearted about what happens as he realizes that his own life and, and the life of his city and the life of his nation do not measure up to God's standards, to God's holiness, to God's goodness that we've been singing about. And we're told in, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11, that he tore his robes. That was a sign of repentance. That was a sign of, of being brokenhearted. This is the first thing I want to talk about this morning, repentance. He fell on his knees. He wept. He confessed his sin. He cried out to God for forgiveness. He tore, I'm not going to tear my shirt open. That would just be embarrassing for you and for me, let's be honest. But he tore his robes. He was so frustrated and so broken hearted about what was going on. And as you read through the context of of what happens next, I, I think his repentance was twofold. I think there was a sense of personal repentance, asking forgiveness for his own heart, for his own sinful ways. Even though he was good and he did good things, he still realized how far he fell short from God's perfect, perfect standards. And he cried out to God to forgive him. And that's not a popular idea today. I think in, in a lot of books that are written these days, a lot of things that are talked about, even the way we do church sometimes, that we're losing sight of the idea and the importance of repentance. We think the Bible is maybe old-fashioned and not all of it's relevant today. Or we think, you know, I'm not as bad as, as that fella over there or that girl over there. They really need to sort their lives out, but, but I, I'm doing okay. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing okay. I'm holding my own. But God's words tells us that all have sinned. All have fallen short of God's standard, of his glorious, holy, perfect standard. Every single one of us, every single one of you, me as well. I'm not immune to it. You think maybe, but you know, I've I've never had an affair. But Jesus said, if you've looked lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in your own heart. Guys, who's innocent of that? Be honest. I've never I've never killed anybody like some of the the paramilitary stuff. It's, I've never done that. But Jesus says, even if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, in God's eyes, it's the same. Who's a that? Who's never lost their rag and been angry and said, I hate you? Withholding generosity, withholding your tithe, keeping it for yourself, for your savings, or, or for spending Forgiveness, God's Word says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Well, I know how much I've been forgiven because I know my own heart, I know how broken and sinful I am, and I'm pretty sure I don't forgive people the way God's forgiven me. Are you withholding forgiveness from somebody? Are you holding on to a grudge, a resentment, a pain? How's your heart this morning? You don't need me to tell you your sin. All you have to do is sit still for a moment. Look in the mirror for a moment. And you know how broken. You know how much you fall short of God's perfect standard. And the only way to deal with that, the only way to deal with that is to come to Jesus. To come to the cross. To come to the one who who opened his arms and died in your place, the Son of God, the sacrifice of heaven, who came to earth, who picked up your sin, and he paid the price for it on the cross. And you have a choice. You either pay for your sin with your own life, and that doesn't end well. Or you accept the fact that Jesus has already paid for your sin with his life. repentance starts with coming to Jesus. Saying, when you died on that cross, you died for me. Thank you. Forgive me. Take my sin. And in place of the guilt and the shame and the regret, leave forgiveness, leave hope, leave love. How's your heart this morning? I think Josiah repented for his own sin, for for his own heart. But I think he also repented for his nation, for the sins of his nation as he looked around. We look at our nation, we see, we see broken marriages, we see uh, domestic violence, we see suicide rates amongst young men skyrocketing, the highest in the UK. We see an influx of heroin into our city. We see a sexual ethic that would embarrass any generation that's gone before us. Church, we need to weep. For the sins of our nation. We need to weep for the sins of our city. We need to repent of them. You say they're not my sins. Do you know what? They happened on our watch. Whilst we have been praying, whilst we have been doing church in here, whilst we have been been going to work and making decisions, these things have happened all around us and we are, are, are part of it whether we like it or not. And we need to, like Josiah did, fall on our knees, whether that's in a prayer room or in a church service or at home on your own, and weep for this city that has lost any sense of a perspective of God, of holiness, of righteousness, starts with repentance. What's interesting, though, is that it leads to, to revival, which I find fascinating. You know, nobody in the church or outside the church has any objection to individual people responding to Jesus. But when it comes to, to talking about your faith and sharing your faith and calling other people to give their lives to Jesus, then everyone gets uncomfortable. Those outside the church say, you can't be doing that. You can't be imposing your beliefs on me. But I think even inside the church we struggle with it as well. Don't want to offend people. Not sure it's okay to impose my beliefs on somebody else. Who am I? My life's not perfect. Who am I to tell somebody else what to think or what to believe? There's a down at the Titanic Museum, you ever been? Yeah, incredible, isn't it? One of the real high points of Belfast. It's fascinating when you walk, I was there maybe three years ago, as you walk around it, you see all the different things that went into Titanic, even down to the number of rivets, that went it's incredibly informative, well put together. If you've never done it, do it, the experience, the tour. But as you walk through, you come towards the end I don't know about you, but I find myself getting really emotional. And I, I know this story. I've seen the movies. I've studied it in school. I've read books about it. But, but walking through that experiential walkthrough of the titanic journey, from the building to the launch, to what it was like to be on the ship to at the very end when it started to go down. And you start to get the numbers of the many people who drowned, who died, who lost their lives. I found myself getting really emotional during the tour. And one of the reasons for it like we you know, we all know we're from Belfast, we all know that the ship set sail, there wasn't enough lifeboats on it. But what was very interesting in it, was when they put sort of the, the upper class women and children into the boats first of all, and they sailed off. They didn't fill the boats, there was still space in the boats. And they rode off and they left people in the water to die. And they had capacity to rescue them, they had capacity to save them, but they rode off and left folk to die. And I share that story because I wonder if... In all the wonderful ways that we do church right across Ireland, north and south, are we leaving people to die in the water? Are we so busy rowing our lifeboats, doing what we do, that we've forgotten that there are people who don't know Jesus dying in the water? You see, guys, this gospel, this message about Jesus that we we gather around every week, this is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's binary. It is or it isn't. It's not that it is for some people and not for other people. It's not a choice. This is reality. Jesus has rescued you, or he hasn't. And there are so many people in this city, and maybe some people here in church today, who, to use biblical language, are lost. They're lost in in just a complex web of moral choices and sinful choices that they're making. That they're lost in regret and shame that just spirals and pulls them down. That they're lost in, in just a, a web of, of philosophical ideas. And maybe they're just lost in ignorance. But they're lost. They're lost. They're, they're separated from, from Jesus. They, they're still in the water. And with your life, you're either moving towards Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. And moving towards Jesus brings you to a new heaven and a new earth. And moving away from Jesus brings you to hell And destruction. And I'm terrified that maybe we're in a lifeboat rowing away from a sinking ship and people that are drowning. Is it a lack of love? Is it a lack of belief? Because what this 100 days thing is going to do, it's going to create opportunity for your love and for your belief to be rekindled and restoked. Josiah has a personal renewal. He repents of his own sin. But that's not enough. He doesn't just do that. He, he sends his people. He goes and consults the prophetess Hulda. Now, that's interesting. Huldah is the prophetess. She's female. He goes and consults a lady who is anointed by the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to speak for God and to speak God's words. And he goes, so what we see 2,600 years ago is a woman speaking with authority and having authority over a man. Guys, just as a side note, I think it's really interesting. Leadership is not determined by gender, by male and female. Leadership is determined by gifting and anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's really key. And I know most of us get that, but I think when we see it in the Bible, we need to say it out loud. The other thing that's interesting is Josiah had the Word of God, but here in this moment he goes to the prophetess and she speaks. All of a sudden we find Word and Spirit coming together. And the result is fascinating. The result is that he is convicted. He gathers the greatest to the least, the youngest to the oldest. He pulls them all together and he has the Word of God read and the Holy Spirit takes it and empowers it and convicts the people of their sin, and there is mass repentance, there is revival, there is an awakening in Judah that calls the whole nation back to God. There's something fascinating in that for us. That our faith is personal, but it is never private. What Jesus is doing in you, he wants to do in the people you know and love who don't yet know him. That's what Alpha is all about. And there's an invitation to invite people along. Let me give you one more thing as we bring this to a close. Repentance, revival, and then reform. Reform. And if you make New Year's resolutions, some of you, any of you, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you if you kept them, I'm just asking you, did you start with good intentions two weeks ago? Give me a wave, some of you, some of your cards, a lot of you. (laughs) I heard a great story, Uh, I'm not going to embarrass the person, but I heard a great story um, where Somebody who goes to Slimming World, I think about half the church go to Slimming World, but somebody who goes to Slimming, that's that's not an insight, you've told me that, you've told me that. Uh, But somebody went to Slimming World and they got a prize at Slimming World because they had only put on two and a half pounds over Christmas and and that was the least in the room so they got the prize. Isn't that cool? (laughs) We have a desire to, this is my own personal one, I have a desire to to lose weight that was put on over Christmas time, but that desire is drastically compromised by the fact that I'm still eating the children's selection boxes. (laughs) No touts. Maybe your desire is to pray more this year and yet it is drastically compromised by the fact that you sit up late at night and watch Netflix for three hours. Maybe your desire is to read more books this year, and yet that desire is drastically compromised because you spend three hours a day on your phone. Someone told me recently that if you read for one hour a day at the average speed the average person reads at, you would read between 75 and 100 books this year by reading one hour a day. repentance is the first step. There's no questions about that. But for you to become the person that God wants you to be, you can't simply keep going on with life as it is. You have to start to make some changes in your life, some concrete changes in your life. And maybe that means watching a little bit less Netflix. And maybe it means putting your phone down and lifting a book. And maybe it means... Meeting somebody for a coffee face to face rather than just pinging them a message on Instagram. You have to make reforms. You have to make changes in your life. Josiah made changes, he created space for inner reform. He instigated the Passover feast, this meal where we celebrate God's rescue. And he invited everyone to come and do it. We, we call that communion. We call it um, one of our sacraments, even a spiritual discipline, if you like. Before Christmas, we talked about all kinds of spiritual disciplines. Bible study, prayer, simplicity, solitude, fellowship and worship, celebration, all of these things. But you have to choose to do them. You have to choose to build these things into your life and it might mean setting some other stuff down, turning your phone off at night, watching a bit less TV, living a bit more generously and sacrificing that thing you wanted to spend money on. For you to become the person that God is calling you to be, there has to be reform in your life. It's not simply enough to say sorry. Sorry gets you forgiveness but to go on the journey with Jesus, you have to take steps You have to take steps. There's inner reform. And then Josiah leads societal reform. And I'm not going to go into all the things he does. You can read about them in the chapter. He tears down idols and he he burns them and he desecrates all of the um, false places to worship. He restructures society so that people are not led away from God but instead are orientated towards God. He restructures society so it ceases to be a place of compromise and darkness and brokenness and starts to become a place of hope and a place of love and a place that draws hearts towards God. Your faith is personal, but it's never private. The work that you do should be shaped by the faith that you have. The conversations that you have with with friends, whether they're Christian or not, should be shaped by Jesus. The prayers that you pray should be inspired by his Holy Spirit. We gathered at City Hall on Wednesday night and we prayed. And we prayed for, for Belfast and we prayed for Northern Ireland and we prayed for our government. And then two days later we have an executive up and formed. Now I'm not saying because we prayed on Wednesday night that happened. But for three years, people have been praying and crying out to God. And on the weekend there, we saw those prayers answered. Our work and our lives and our conversations and our faith should shape the world that we live in. But it needs to start with an awakening in our own hearts. It needs to start with a repentance in our own hearts. Let me invite the band back up. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And interspersed with this prayer, we're going to sing a very simple refrain. So please just keep your seats as we do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's be still. God's spirit is here. He's been speaking to you. He's been showing you parts of your life that That have not been faithful to Him. And very simply, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. Repentance is simply turning from that thing that you're embarrassed about, that addiction that you have, that regret, that shame that you have, turning from that and turning towards Jesus and saying, I'm sorry. Forgive me. So I give you a moment just to to pray that prayer. As Christians, this is something we should do every morning, every night. And perhaps if you're you're not yet a Christian and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, you want that forgiveness, that peace, pray with me really simply. Jesus, I'm sorry for the sins in my life. I repent of them. I turn from them to you. Thank you for, for dying on the cross and paying the price for those sins. Put your Holy Spirit in me and make me new. We all have people in our lives who, who don't yet know Jesus, who would long to see walking with them. People who have never prayed that prayer for salvation. People who have, have backslidden and fallen away from faith and from church. Name them before God now. Cry out to God to, to move in their hearts and awaken faith in their lives. Only he can do that. And finally, let's pray for, for our city of Belfast. Pray for our fledgling government that have just stepped back in, but it's all still fragile. Pray for compromise. Pray for, for courage. Pray for boldness. Pray for, for visionary leadership. Pray over the communities around us that are gripped by paramilitary control, seeking to pull us back into the past. Pray for freedom there and for new voices to rise up, speaking hope and a new way. Pray for for this this spirit of fear that is driving young men particularly in Belfast to to think they have no options but but to take their own lives and and to die by suicide pray against that spirit pray against that evil pray that doors will open and and friendships will open that these young men and and young women as well will, will find a new hope in you Lord pray for our health service Pray for for doctors and nurses at the front line of of releasing your healing and your hope into lives. Pray for them in difficult conversations that they're going to be having this week with folk. Pray for school teachers, and particularly Christian school teachers, as they they have to to lead in school and facilitate the needs of pupils and and educate them. And all the time, there there is this secular agenda particularly around sexuality, particularly around gender. Pray for wisdom for those in schools. Pray for our city of Belfast that hearts and minds will be turned to you or turned to the Lord. And every church, pray for every church. Name the ones you can remember. Ask God to bless them and to revive them. Stand to your feet as we pray these prayers, I pray. Let's stand together.